We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey, welcome everybody back. Steve coming in with Charles Coulomb. Again, that's been a long time, no talk, my good man. (laughs) The world has ended. Yes. (laughs) It's the end of the world as we know it, as somebody from U2 said. (laughs) Well, you know, we're at number three lockdown here in Austria. I've lost count. Uh, And, of course, just yesterday, uh, that sacred temple of... uh, something. Yeah. The Capitol building in Washington was the immortal words of President Obama, who knows a thing or two about desecrating stuff, uh, desecrated. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I didn't shed a tear over the desecration. I'm sorry, uh, dear leader. Oh, I did. I did. But, you know, I, I, I always unhappy when any beautiful building uh, undergoes any kind of abuse. Um <laughs> uh, Usually, I'm very upset every four years about uh, what the White House has put through. Yes. Anyway, yes. the uh, <laughs> you know it gets a new incumbent. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it doesn't deserve that kind of abuse. No, 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 it does not. We need more, <laughs> we need more evictions. <laughs> I would say, and uh, no rehirings. Oh heavens! So I asked, I asked Charles to come on not to talk about the desecration, which is a fun oh. topic, but. A certain man, priest, martyr, who, along with, was it 99 others uh, during the French Revolution, lost oh. his head going up saying, I have to retrieve a tare day. Indeed, yeah. And it's, uh, I should say this. He was killed with, well, not at the same time. They were killed with two bunches mm-hmm. and over a period of time. There were 99 beatified martyrs of Angers in the west of France. But, and here's the big but, um, there were actually thousands of other people executed at the same time. These are the 99 whose cases have been thoroughly uh, researched and for whom there are miracles. So that's... Um, he um, was a product of the west of France, Father Pinot, or Blessed Noel Pinot, uh, as they have to call him now. Um, he was actually the first one to be out of time. In fact, way back in 1926. Uh, and then uh, there were 99 more who were beatified by St. John Paul II. So that's important to bear in mind. Uh, but no, you know, well, we have to go back in time a little bit. Yes, go back in the Wayback Machine. Basically, what happened was that Nobino was a priest in the, in the West of France a long time. And in 1791 or two, the uh, quasi revolutionary French government issued what was called the Civil Constitutional Clergy. 
which basically made the Church of France dependent on the government of France and not on the Holy See. So, the Holy See condemned it. And that meant that the, all the clergy of France, bishops and priests, had to decide whether to swear allegiance to this new law. And those who did not were deprived of their parishes and treated as criminals. Uh, one of these was Father Noel Pinot, who refused to take the oath and so took to say mass clandestinely. Uh, he was arrested once for that offense and he got off, he escaped, uh, so to speak. But, uh, <laughs> how do I put this nicely? He um, went back into, into uh, saying Mass in hiding. And he acted as a chaplain or to the insurgents of one day. Uh, and went back, in, went back into hiding when the, uh, uh, the counter-revolutionaries uh, attempted unsuccessfully to besiege Nantes. He was caught in February of 1794, where he'd been hiding. Uh, he, had all, he had everything necessary to say mass, which he was about to do. Uh, it was taken to Angers. He uh, appeared before a tribunal, and they guillotined him. Guillotined him uh, in the scaffolds, in the, sorry, for the scaffolds, in the liturgical garments, the chasm and all that that he was wearing at the time that he was arrested. They, uh, they beheaded him wearing his priestly vestments. But as he went or took the scaffold to the platform with that guillotine, he uh, recited the Intro Evo and Altari Dei, the first words of the Mass. Um, and offering himself up for a sacrifice? Yes. The implication was that he was uniting his personal sacrifice with that of our Lord. So he was, I don't want to say don't come out bad, say he's just a normal priest, but he didn't go into, he didn't succumb to the government's, uh, the juror, non-juror, he didn't, he didn't take the oath. No, and he, he was a normal priest who got caught up in everything that was going on. And if you look at the, at the history of the martyrs of almost anywhere, most of the time, there are people who were simply doing what they'd always done and kept doing it. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, the given time and place, what they had always done suddenly became a crime for which they paid the ultimate price. Uh, what makes them heroic, of course, is the fact that they refused to stop. Seeing whatever it was they were doing as being their duty to God, which had to be taken above the demands of the powers that were. Because remember that all these martyrs inevitably their memory outlives whatever regime put them to death. We remember the Korean martyrs, the Vietnamese martyrs, the Chinese martyrs, the Japanese martyrs. We don't remember the uh, jerkwater tyrants that killed them. Mm-hmm. We remember that. We only remember Henry VIII because he spoke English. And he founded the Anglican Church, which is such a big part of our current yeah. situation yeah. today. A little children's song. Henry VIII, I am. Oh, Henry. 
Well, it also helped that Herman Sermons uh, made him famous. But yeah. The, uh, <laughs> no, I, I um, it, again, too, the 99 other people that were um, later beatified as part of the same group uh, killed in 1793 and 1794. Uh, uh, there were priests, uh, women religious, and laity. Uh, a lot of them were guillotined in Angers, like uh, Noel Pipinot, and a lot of them were shot in a place called Avrier, which to this day is a chapel, which you can go and venerate the memory. So, you know, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and 20 years later, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte and the French Revolution was uh, a bad dream. He's got a, a shrine, and like I was telling you off camera, I was looking up for information for months. And he's got a big shrine out there in France, and uh, there's a lot of French videos on, in French on him. Uh, oh, yeah. He's a pretty big name, from what uh, I'm guessing, out there. No, you guessed correctly. And he's a, he's a, a big deal in Angers, of course, uh, the, uh, and in the west of France generally. Uh, you'd be amazed how many commemorative things there are of the Vendée uh, rebellion in the Vendée and in adjoining areas. It's far from forgotten. And you go, we got you said ninety nine of these were beatified or beatified or canonized in general was pretty more. I remember seeing the uh, uh, the Vendée movie documentary that the, uh, I can't remember his name did just a few months ago. And it was a bunch of the, the children of the Vendée that was uh, like 26 or maybe it was 126 might have been the number that were beatified. How many total were dead, were killed from this? In the Vendée? That is a good question. Uh, because you see, they, when, when the war itself was over, they kind of harried it. Uh, torturing and, and killing as many as they could in, in really weird and terrible ways. Uh, but in terms of death estimates, um, perhaps 170,000 to 200,000. Okay. Uh, now that, mind you, that only refers to people who died in combat. It doesn't talk about people who civilians who died as a uh, result of starvation or whatever. Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, there, there were another, uh, there were another uh, several thousand who were shot, guillotined, sent to French Guiana. It, it, uh, so, in total, including the civilians, uh, it may have been as much as 450,000 out of a population of about 800,000. And these guys, they knew the penalty for what they were doing, right? Just just for staying true to the living a regular life. They knew. And they knew that uh, there was a very good chance they wouldn't win. But they felt they had to try. And, of course, had... Their eternal efforts to match by the external invasion, things might have been very different. Mm -hmm. But do we know? Uh, 
the JP2's, was there any writing on him, uh, on why he beatified the 99? Or? I don't know. That doesn't mean But he certainly, uh, he did say when he uh, beatified, uh, beatified them that they had preferred death to giving up the uh, Holy Catholic and Apostolic faith. Um, which, are, that's what what's modern is all about. Right. Uh, when you consider the little things we tend to give up our faith for, uh, it kind of puts it in perspective. I mean, we give it up for a, uh, either because you don't like the sexual rules, the marital rules, or we want social advantage. That's why we give it up. Uh, they were faced with death and refused it. I thought you were going to say something like a cough. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't mind push. I don't mind going there. <laughs> no, no. My, my little joke these days is when our masters had us put on our masks, they took off theirs. Yeah, yeah. The post-democratic age. That was kind of going with the, these guys had a little bit more courage because they knew they were going to literally get their heads removed from their bodies. Yep. You see, they, they were the they lived in the last the last few years of the pre democratic age. We're living in the post democratic age. Is that wonderful? Yeah, it's a, it was, I was going to put the, like celebration on in the background, but I, uh, well, <laughs> I'd have to move. <laughs> I have you know that I am wearing my American flag lapel pin. I noticed it. And it's uh, it's uh, vertically challenged right now. Well, yeah, it's upside down, which is, you know, is the traditional distress signal. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's watching up there who's in a position to do something to help us, um, then there are, there, are, there are some similarities between pre-revolutionary France and current day America. A lot of dissimilarities. We, uh, we don't have a really strong Catholic base of resistance like the one day. Yeah, it's it slightly pretty, different there. Yeah. Yeah, well I mean we've been pretty much uh, bought and paid for, you know. John F. Kennedy's uh, election being the down payment yeah. for the uh, you know I guess you could say uh, our co religionist uh, Joe Biden, second Catholic president of the United States. <laughs> is that great? Yes, yes. The Chino Award goes out to multiple people these days. I don't know. But I do know that the uh, the lesson that we can learn from Father Pinot and the other martyrs of Angers and the Vendée as a whole is that if you want to save your soul, you have to remain faithful. You have to remain true to what you know to be true, to what the Church has taught us. And you don't you don't surrender just because it's your advantage so to do. And again, he was just doing his normal duty. Nothing extravagant, nothing over the top. He wasn't no. Noah preaching to everyone the flood's coming. He was just saying mass here in confessions. Mass. He was just saying mass and being a criminal by virtue of not swearing allegiance. So... I, I was remember reading. Uh, no, it was uh, Father Michael Mary had a, a thing on their channel about 
don't give me this stuff about... Well, he didn't say like that. Don't give me like I'm saying it. Saying five rosaries a day if you can't do three Hail Marys in the morning and night. Starting something small so there's something big later. If people are thinking, I see what's going on in our area and think I can stand like... I can go up like Pinot. What... Uh. The, the little things need to add up before the big things. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're embarrassed to say grace to the restaurant before your meal. Oh, I, I wouldn't do that. People might be offended. Okay, well, that's not the stuff of whom martyrs are made. And, not, and you're not telling anybody to get up and yell, Benedici Jane, and start. No, no. Just a simple, normal grace in a very fine restaurant before you have your steak Diane uh, done tableside. The maitre d' is probably French. She'll appreciate you doing it. <laughs> but no, I, I uh, oh, it's all, it's all madness. It really is. Now, I did mention that everything I found was in French mostly. Is there or are there anything in English on him, books related? Or the martyrs in general? Well, not that I know about him. Uh, Daniel Rabourdin came up with an interesting movie about the Vendée. That's what I meant about oh, Daniel. Hidden, yeah, that's, yeah, he... That, yeah, Hidden Rebellion. Yeah. Um, but there's just that much. Because, uh, well, this will surprise you. But there are many, many, many saints of whom we know very little because they weren't in English. Uh, but I always like Joseph Pierce's line. He told us, "Well, we're in South Carolina one day. He goes, if the English martyrs were Italian, they'd each have their individual day, but they all get lumped yeah. into one." <laughs> Probably true. true. I mean, we, we can't, can't, we can't, can't really claim that uh, national, national prejudice don't play a role. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but Tutus, 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 any one of his basilicas uh, in Italy would be a big deal. By itself, anywhere else. But you know, Italy has so many of them. Just, oh, well, I don't really care. So many great saints, so many this, so many that. So, at any rate, uh, he, uh, pardon me, he was beatified in 1926 by Pope Pius XI, was Arnaud Pinot. The others, were uh, beatified by uh, Sir John Paul II. What, is there any Vendean martyrs that you personally have a devotion to? Uh, yes, but they're not beatified. Charlotte de la was probably the youngest commander of the Vendean troops. Uh, and he was the one who said, uh, if I lead, follow me. If I fall, avenge me. If I fail, shoot me. <laughs> so, but he was a young man. He was like 18 when he joined. There was another one. I think it was Bonchon. Mm -hmm. Or it was Marquis de Bay, one of the two. Uh, but he was a, a retired officer and a landowner, a Marquis, an old one. And these, these peasants come up to his house and demand that he lead them into battle. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, I can do that. And I'll do it. 
for Jonathan McKay, but just so you know, we're probably not going to win. But he didn't let that stop him from trying. And of course, the well, they would rise again a couple of times. Despite being uh, uh, beaten down, including under uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, when the word came back for his return from Elba, it was a rising against him in 1815. And again, in 1832, against the new uh, Louis-Philippe, the new king, the usurper. So why are those guys, for you? Well, simply because they were both military men, and so and they were very solid soldiers, but also very devout. Mm-hmm. And of course, very loyal to their king. Uh, there was another one of them whose name escapes me, uh, but he had been a salt smuggler. He was a peasant. Stuffley, maybe? Stuffley? Anyway, he was a peasant, and his mother's only son. Well, in peacetime, he was caught smuggling salt, for which the penalty was death. So his mother made the trek all the way to Versailles and buttonholed Louis XVI in the gardens of Versailles and said, Your Majesty, I'm a, I'm a widow, I have only one son, he's in your jail waiting execution, he's all I have, could you pardon him? And Louis XVI said, Sure. <laughs> and he did. Well, when all this stuff broke out and they murdered the king, uh, when the rebellion started, he jumped in. And he said, I owe my life to my king. How can I refuse it to him now? So, it was quite a, quite a thing. And the vengeance that the revolutionaries took was monstrous. Horrible, even by their standards. Yeah, I remember, uh, in, was it Daniels? What might have been a Daniels thing that he mentions about a nun who reached down to grab a rose when they were going to go to a, an area to get blown away, basically, and the soldier hit her hit her hand with with the butt of the rifle, broke her hand or something like that. And to this day, there's flowers in that area where she she was hit or something like this. I've heard such a story. Uh, there are a lot of them. Uh, I mean, one of the things that they would do, for instance, is the the revolutionaries would take a priest and a nun. Tie them together and drown them. Yeah, the baptisms. And these were, were Republican marriages. Yeah, they called these things. I mean, they they, they were miserable, worthless slime. Uh, you, you know, sadly, in our schools, we often hear the French Revolution spoken of with some sympathy. Mm-hmm. It deserves none. Zero zip. It deserves nothing but contempt. I've always, I've also heard that the difference between the American one and the French one was we didn't have the Catholic problem over here. Well, any truth uh, to that? That was part of it. Uh, that was part of it, but there were other issues as well. Uh, for one thing, in uh, the French Revolution started out as a rebellion by those who already had uh, most of the power actually in society, using the lower classes as a hammer to knock out the existing upper class and aristocracy. Well, that was true with the American Revolution also. 
but the difference was the country was so raw and so new, uh, there was more space to work things out as it were. Gotcha. Uh, but mind you, even with that, 100,000 loyalists had to leave the country at the end of the war. And 100,000 people was a lot for us in those days, including a couple of whole classes from Harvard. Because mm-hmm. given what Harvard is now, that might not have been much of a loss. But, you know, <laughs> uh, it was then. So if so, I look down in the future, I'll just close it down. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't mind. The The other thing is that uh, the American Revolution was intimately tied up with the French mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons, but at least of was the fact that the French, French were bankrupt, financing the American cause, uh, and defining Britain. Britain. So, so at, at the, the end of the day, when in 1788, the, the great, uh, well, I spent a volcano that destroyed the crops that year, uh, in 1788. There was no money and no credit to buy food for the people, which is what normally would have happened. And that was beginning the great hunger. And to deal with it, the king had to call the States General. And then I felt the revolution going. Well, had he not fought in the American Revolution, he wouldn't have needed the money, he wouldn't have been on, on the edge of bankruptcy. Clergy-wise, I've heard that the French clergy were one of the just most devout, top-notch at the time. That's true. I mean, they were... Uh, I mean, before the jury, non-jury parts came in. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing about France in those days was that uh, after the Genesis uh, heresy, a lot of diocesan variations came out. Uh, and one of the uh, early chores of Don Garanche was introducing the Roman liturgy per se into diocese after diocese. Might have been the 19th century. But that was a situation that had begun in the 17th century, uh, partly because of Genesis. The entire course of the Catholic Church in 19th century France was to a great degree uh, influenced by the conduct of the counter-revolution against first the, uh, the revolutionaries that Napoleon. So, for instance, uh, a man like Don Granger, who revived the Benedictines in France, who revived the Gregorian chant, did a lot of other things. Uh, his uh, experience was was very much uh, influenced by the aftermath of the revolution, and the same was true of the curé d'art, Saint Jean Vianney. The same was true of uh, Lacordaire, who refounded the Dominicans in France. Uh, the same was true of uh, Saint Peter Julien Aimar, the founder of the Blessed Sacrament Fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Catherine Labore, uh the uh, miraculous metal lady, mm-hmm. uh, St. Bernadette Subaru, the Lord lady. Uh, all of these important figures were very much influenced by the, the horrors that the Church of France had gone through. And it's interesting that although 
Politically, the 19th century had a lot of disasters for the French church. Spiritually, it was a very great time. And to a great degree, that was the fruit of people like Blessed Don Pino. Hmm. Because before that time, before the revolution, the church in France, in a lot of ways, was not in great shape. And of course, the ideals of the Enlightenment had rotted a great many of the bishops. Louis XVI appointed them, but he had a limited pool from which he could draw them. And when one fellow uh, asked how he could possibly appoint a man who led such a terribly immoral life, you know, he had a mistress and all that, as a, a bishop. Uh, Louis XVI reminded, what am I to do? Look at what I have to choose from. At least this one believes in the Trinity. <laughs> so, uh, unwittingly, the revolution did the church in France, uh, and really in Europe in general, a great favor mm -hmm. in that it, it paved the way for 150 years of really strong Catholicism. Vatican I Catholicism, if you like. Uh, I'll be right back. Okay. French revolutionary experience uh, and counter-revolutionary experience influenced uh, French Catholicism very strongly, really all the way to Vatican II, you know, which is why the French priests were the last ones to give up the rabbah and the buckled shoes and all that kind of thing and knee breeches. They had those into the early 60s, hmm. all, be, all in commemoration of the, uh, the heroic priests of the late 18th century, of whom a blessed Noel Pinot was a foremost representative. Uh, it, what, what, what do we, we get, get out of this story? story? Well, a lot. The first thing being that we should put our faith above every other consideration, even including, I hope everyone see it, our career. That guy wasn't seated. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the one that I heard fall over. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's, it's, it's rough and tough. But uh, that's what's proud of us, ladies and gentlemen. you got to remember, what we're aiming for is eternity in heaven. You know, the very thing the communists used to attack us for, that Catholics really aren't that worried about perfection in this world because they don't expect it until heaven. He was right. We try as hard as we can in this world because that too affects where we go. But we don't invest our final hopes in it. Because you know what? Everyone dies. If you're not martyred, you'll die some other way. I, I saw an interesting, uh, believe it or not, Stephen King miniseries <laughs> called, uh, yeah, yeah, called Song of the Century. <laughs> set on an island in Maine where a devil-like figure comes and he wants the child for the honest population to raise as his own as a successor otherwise he's going to kill everyone and the one decent person in town happens to be also the town constable is begging his village. I mean, it's almost like high noon with the devil. Mm -hmm. 
he's begging people, you know, don't go along with this guy. Don't do it. But you can't tell them. And so uh, they draw lots, and his own son is given over to the demon and vanishes. He leaves the island and his wife, who went along with the deal. And then eventually runs into his son nine years later with his, this demonic character. Um, but he points out in the meantime that the townspeople who left behind have been suicides and, and all sorts of things because they came to regret their deal with the devil, even though none of their kids were given up for it. That's very true. It's a real, a real truth there. Uh, nothing is worth compromising your soul for, because we will not live here forever. We will die. And all that ultimately matters for each of us is where we spend that eternity. So, when you look at the terrible deaths that the revolutionaries gave the men, women, and children, priests, and religious of the Vendée, bear in mind that they were shooting a lot of a lot of people to heaven. Amen. Hey maybe we get somebody to write a book on these uh, martyrs, these ninety-nine. Uh, you know any good authors? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Charles, appreciate it, man. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. We'll come up with something down the road. Yeah, you know, the way things are falling apart at the seams, I mean, we may have to do a then and now between the French Revolution, the American Revolution, the American Civil War, the Spanish Civil War, the Russian Revolution, and whatever it is we're going through tomorrow. Yes. And the next day, the next day. I'm game. I know you got the time. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we can. I didn't get home for Christmas. But I had a very good Christmas, so mm -hmm. I can't complain. And to show you, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, there you go. And. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I am celebrating Christmas still. It's the day after the Epiphany. The tree really should go, but I keep everything else up until Candlemas Eve. Yeah, we're we're the only one in our neighborhood with lights out on the. We're the first one when you pull down the drive. We're the first house you see, and it branches off. We're the only one with lights out now. <laughs> keep it going. You know, amateur night on Christmas Day is gone, so we need to keep you know us us professional Yuletide people. We got to keep it going. Exactly. All right, bud. We'll take care. We'll talk soon. Right on. God bless you. Good time.